Ever wondered what can still go wrong even if you have everything prepared for business acquisition? You're about to get insights on that from an expert. He's got experience in making successful deals and he's about to shed light on the crucial factors that can cause a business to fail post-acquisition. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so that you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights Podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates Brownsword, and today I've got Scott Ritzheimer to talk to. Scott is a scale architect. He has done this a gazillion times and uh, has a, a ton of experience and is now helping everyone else or many others to uh, scale their business and, and learn from his mistakes. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Scott. Daryl, excited to be here. Excited for this conversation. Good stuff. So, Scott. What I think would be really helpful is is if you just give us a, a couple of sentences on on who you are and what you do, and and we'll just use that to set the scene for for listeners to understand your background and and what puts you in a good position to uh, help others scale their businesses. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I've been doing this a gazillion times. Anyone watching on video uh, would be like, "How's that physically possible?" I'll let you know when I figure it out. But I've I've had the opportunity to help about twenty thousand different visionaries to launch, scale, and uh, and many of them ultimately uh, go through succession. Uh, and and I, I say it that way because some of them are businesses, some of them are nonprofits. Being able to see both sides of that, how they're the same, how they're different, has been fascinating. Uh, and and I would say, you know, you you see something happen that many times, you see. And patterns, right? You, you start to pick up on what works, what doesn't. Uh, but that all kind of is like, okay, that's great. Whenever you find yourself in that same position, uh, and so a lot of uh, a lot of what I do now for clients is taking what I saw over all those patterns, uh, taking the experiences I had, trying to apply those patterns in my own life, uh, and and just really working out the details of it. And now what I help folks do, particularly founders, I love working with founders, uh, and, and they, that entrepreneurial spark, right? Uh, and, and for many of them later in their entrepreneurial journey, they may not really even feel like entrepreneurs anymore. You know, those, those days of having launched their business, of starting it up are so far in the past. Uh, and, and, and what folks find out, and, and anyone listening to this knows this, that organizations get bigger, they don't really get better. Right. There's just this sense of, you know, we think when we get our first million or our first five million or our first hundred million that that on the other side of that, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and to an extent, yes, it is true. And, and that success is wonderful. But the reality of it is the other side of 100 million looks a lot like this side of 100 million. Just the, the it's bigger, bigger problems, yeah. bigger wins. Uh, and and so a lot of what I do is, is help founders to overcome those bigger challenges that come with scale, to build scalable organizations that is a, that are a joy for them to lead. Uh, and, and in the context of this conversation, make succession highly successful. Uh, and, and for founders, give them that exit that not only checks the kind of financial box, but also checks the legacy box that so many are in it for. Yeah. So, Scott, there's just so much. I started writing down a whole stack of notes there because uh, you moved at such a pace, which means that you're a high energy guy and you you're a classic entrepreneur who makes stuff happen and 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 breathes energy, which is fantastic. So I think one of the really interesting things that you said there was, uh, yeah, as entrepreneurs, I think, you know, they're classically optimistic and and always forward looking people. 
and they've got a vision and they're, they're forward looking and they go, if I can just get here, then everything will be okay. And then I'll be able to do this. And if I can just do this and if I can just achieve that. And when they get there, they've totally forgotten about it. And they're, they're already looking at the next thing that they're, they're moving forwards towards. And they never stop and uh, smell the roses or smell the coffee or, or, or you know, sip a pina colada on the beach because they're always exhausting everyone around them with their energy, you know, you know telling everyone when, when they're hearing the information of, uh, well, it can't be done that way. No one can do that. Well, they're just busy saying, well, get out of the way because I'm making it happen. So you've seen and helped 20,000. You've helped. How, how does a young guy like you help 20,000 business owners uh, achieve great results at, at, at such an early stage? And look, yeah, it's, I mean, you got to chalk it up to some extent to dumb luck, right? Like it, it's easy to come on and like pretend I've got it all figured out. But the reality of it is like a lot of it was just, I, I, I accidentally ended up in the right place at the right time. The other part of it was uh, we were just part of this really dynamic community. Uh, being able to work on both the for-profit and non-profit side of that was a big part of it, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and again, seeing the similarities, seeing the differences, standing in the gap between those two was a big challenge. But uh, we, we just found ourselves you know, in that very entrepreneurial community, uh, helping them create order from chaos. You know, a lot of times we call ourselves the second call. So we'd be like, I'm going to start a business. And, and they'd call their, you know, their wife or, you know, she'd call her husband and say, I'm going to start a business. And they would say, how are you going to do that? And like, I have no idea. So they call us, how do I start a business? And, uh, and, and so, you know, it was, there's lots of things that contributed to that. Had an unbelievable team uh, that I got to work with that, that really made all that possible. And then we just found ourselves at the right place at the right time in a number of different ways. But uh, again, um, you know, the number is what the number is. I think uh, the the patterns are what are really important that come out of that, and yeah. uh, and and what I, I really appreciate to this day. And and that was like we didn't rehearse this on us, but that was my next question. I was going to ask about you mentioned patterns, and I think. There's something, and I heard something recently, and, I've, and I'm, I'm kicking myself because I can't remember specifically what, what it was, but it was about something about entrepreneurs see patterns and fast thinkers, big picture thinkers tend to see the world in patterns. Is, is, is that your experience also? That where, whereas I guess the rest of the world are just you know, seeing the next task that needs to be done and, and just get the job done, whereas these on, entrepreneurs and, and you know, big picture thinkers for some reason, see through the the details and and just see the big picture and patterns. So, I, I would say that's a subtype. Yeah, I would say that's a subtype of entrepreneur. I, in my experience, that's not true of all of them. I would say what's true of all of them is they see opportunity, right? Some yeah. of them see opportunity in action. Some of them see opportunity in people. Some of them see opportunity in patterns. Uh, and and some of them are are just you know lit on fire enough to to make opportunity happen even if they don't see it. So I would say there, there's different subtypes of entrepreneur. Uh, and and yes, a significant portion of them see the world in patterns uh, and particularly those that that really excel uh, in the later stages that tends to be a trait now in the same token that can be a detriment early on because you're too busy looking at patterns and not doing stuff uh, so you know there's 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 two sides of that coin but uh, when you look at a lot of the the you know the real big name entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of them are actually wired more for the later stages than the early stages, which is why we see that their success. And I would say, uh, you know, kind of added element to this is that technology 
really amplifies the the benefit of pattern recognition. And, and yeah. so we're in a season and a time where that subtype of entrepreneur can scale very quickly. They can scale to a very large size because of the ability to translate patterns into technology, into code, into reproducible systems. Uh, that, that, that's a, a very beneficial trait uh, in the current economy. Sure. So as someone who sees patterns, are they effectively extracting themselves out of their business or, or out of whatever environment it is and is able to take that helicopter view and look down and see the whole the whole field of play at one time, so to speak. Is, is that what we're referring to here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think you see it in a microcosm inside of chess, right? Uh, you know what the set of moves are. Now, where I think chess is very different from the real world is that it is a confined environment. Uh, and so you won't necessarily see visionaries be great at chess, but you will be able to see them do it in an open environment, which is the world, right? There are not those same set of limitations that you have in chess, but that same idea of being able to think and move a couple steps ahead. Here's why it's so important. Again, in the early days, it's not as important because you just got to get out there and get stuff. What's helpful is knowing, hey, this is all worth it right? It, it's worth it because of the, the patterns that I see. But later on, you, you should have a team around you who's helping you execute. Uh, and so by seeing the patterns, what that allows you to do is spend the bulk of your time as that visionary leader, as that entrepreneur, looking at what's coming and entrusting your team to execute on what is, if that makes sense. And, mm -hmm. and what that does for your team, even if they're not necessarily prone to thinking in patterns, or even if they kind of get a little annoyed at you when you do, uh, it still creates this wonderful context for them to do their best work and it move you as an organization toward the vision that you have, toward the, the mission that you've created. Uh, and, and that's where I think that strength is so helpful in, in, in scaling an organization up, again, because it, it creates the context for why what we're doing matters. Okay. And you touched on the, the vision there, is, is, or, the, or the mission, I think, was you referring to. Is that something that you use and, and you see, is that a pattern that you see of, of, that successful entrepreneurs have? They're, they're aware of what their mission or, or vision or, or some sort of big picture? Absolutely, 100%. And I would say it, it, it's a big part of what separates, we're kind of early on in the process, but it's a big part of, separates, uh, of what separates entrepreneurs who just create a job, right? The kind of technician, uh, the, the solopreneur uh, from the entrepreneur who, who builds a company, who, who ultimately can, can actually scale that thing up is, is that idea of vision and mission. I was, I was talking to a, a gentleman, he had actually inherited a business from uh, from his father, and he'd been doing it for you know, 15, 20 years, uh, and about five of those as the leader of his organization. And he was frustrated as all get out. And, and I asked him, I said, hey, you know, tell me, what is your vision for, for the company? It's yours now. What's the vision for it? And he kind of dodged the question. He went on to you know, some problem he was having with a client. Uh, and, and I, I kind of reined him back. I was like, okay, that's great. We can deal with that later. Uh, if we're going to work together, I'd love to know what your vision is so I can help move you in that direction. Uh, and he started talking about an employee challenge. I like, totally ignored the question. And, and I'm a little like, what's going on here? And, and so I, I kind of let him go. We talked about this employee thing for a, a couple of minutes and I bring him back. I'm like, well, let's call him Jeff. Jeff, 
what's your vision? Like, if I were to help you, where do you want this thing to go? And he said, Scott, you keep using that word vision. I don't know what that means. He said, my dad told me to have success in this industry. You've got to have 10 appointments scheduled for next week. And I, every week since then, unless I was on vacation, and even then sometimes, I've had 10 appointments scheduled for next week. In his industry, him and uh, several of his team members do three to five times, depending on the year, what an average person does in, in revenue uh, for that industry because of that ultra near-term focus, but they're spinning their wheels again and again. They can't get beyond that because there's no vision for the, the, where the organization can go together. Well, that, that's the classic definition of the, you know, being stuck on the hamster wheel, isn't it? Or Groundhog Day. It's just, there's that, that business becomes soulless. And, and I see a, a similarity with businesses like that when, when, they don't know where they're going. They just know operationally what they have to do and, and how to do it well operationally. And dare I say it, that's the risk of what happens when someone comes in and drives the business from the numbers only. They'll drive the business from the spreadsheet and they'll tweak it and they'll tweak it and they'll tweak it and, and they'll make operational improvements from a spreadsheet perspective yeah. year in, year out yeah. to the point where it's acting like a Swiss watch. But then you have a look at the people in the business and there's no soul. None. They, and then you know, you, they're the sort of businesses where you expect and often see high staff turnover. Yeah. How do they counteract it? Well, they start paying the people more because they've got great operational effectiveness. They've got better than average margins. They'll pay people more. And that holds people for about six months from, from what I've seen. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get a job elsewhere and they'll go, oh, no, no, stay, we'll, we'll give you a pay rise. Okay, well, I'll get a pay rise. If they don't remove the underlying factor that made the person want to leave in the first place, i.e. the place was soul-destroying, then that'll only buy them for another six months. Yeah. So, yeah, look, so we, we need to get a vision uh, because humans are, are – are, people that are inspired on energy and feeling and passion, right? And when they've aligned to a business where a business owner's got a vision or a mission, they're basically saying, we're going in this direction. And people buy into their energy and they go, I'll go on that journey with you. Yeah. It sounds like you're building something of value, something important. That's part. I, I want to do that. That'll feel yeah. like I'm making a, a positive contribution. Yeah, I'm getting paid and you know, I've got to get paid in my job and what have you. But as humans, we, we, we crave good leadership and we crave to be part of something bigger than ourselves, don't we? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And folks listening to this, you know, they're, they're, they're thinking about exit planning. So what in the world does this have to do with exit planning? Because entrepreneurs are like, that's not my business, right? Like that, that's not how, you know, like we've got ideas and, and, and mission and vision for days. Uh, you know, they've got their set of challenges. But what I want to, what I really want to dial in on is what happens when you're not there anymore? right? Uh, what happens when you completely exit day-to-day -day operations? What happens when you sell to private equity or even to folks inside the, the business? What they're going to do is they're, you know, whoever takes over after you is most likely going to be or install what we call an operator, right? Or, or, or someone who, who, who is good at, at uh, running by the numbers. Why? Because your leadership style as a visionary is messy. I mean, let's just be honest with you. Like you create a lot of problems, uh, but it, it's that messiness and that dynamism that that brings the appropriate excitement for an organization. Now it has to be controlled, it has to be tempered, right? That you have to be part of a team. But what happens is when you pull that out, 
uh, it, it looks like this great, like, uh, you know, everything gets better in a certain way. It's like, you don't have that messiness anymore. You kind of get the toddler out of the house. And it's like, all of a sudden it's clean, but it's a little boring too, right? And so what happens is when, when you exit, if you don't really think through this, if you don't plan for it, what happens is your organization starts dying from the day that you've left. Yeah. Right. And your legacy goes with it. Now, you know, folks will, will do it and, and, you know, they'll look and be like, no, it's actually gotten better. Right. Uh, and, and so for the first couple of years, it will look like it got better because we got all that messiness out. We're running by the numbers. To your point, it's more efficient, it's more effective. You might hit peak profitability uh, or you, the, your successor might hit peak profitability. But what's going to happen is this long, slow slide into irrelevance, yep. right? This irreversible decay. Uh, I was um, a, a picture of this for folks. I was uh, taking my dog for a walk. We've got these beautiful woods back behind our house. And here in Atlanta, every once in a while, we'll get these like really crazy windstorms where, you know, a typical day we'll have like, you know, a couple miles per hour wind, a couple meters per second, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but then these like strong gusts will come through. And so we had this happen overnight. It was super loud. It was crazy. Um, and I, I take my dog for a walk the next day. As we're walking through the woods, you kind of round this corner and this giant tree that I couldn't fit my arms around twice, right? It's just this huge tree that I've always loved walking around. It's this beautiful tree, uh, looks awesome and strong, and it's laying there on its side. And, and I'm like, how's that even possible, right? Like wind is wind, but it's like, how can a tree that big, that strong get blown over? And as I continue walking around the path, it kind of corners on this tree, and I get to the point where I can see down into the inside of the tree, it was completely hollow. All but the last couple inches had been rotted out and eaten out by ants. And so we look at these giant organizations from the outside and, and they look strong, right? They, they look beautiful. They look big. But what happens is when they don't have that visionary life, right? They don't have that visionary spark, uh, that, that continuously developed vision for the future, they start to die from the inside out. And, and again, the, you know, it sounds really rough, but it's true and you need to know it is that the one and only exit from that is that the, the, the business disappears, right? Same thing for nonprofits, but we're talking about businesses here. Uh, it, it just simply ceases to exist. When you look back, um, uh, and this isn't something that just affects small businesses. You look back 50 years ago now, around 1970, you look at the Fortune 500 list. Yeah. You compare that to the list today. Do you know how many companies are still on the list? Uh, I'd be less than a handful. Yeah, it's it's about 10%. Uh, and it's a little less now than it was when I first did the study. That means 400, uh, 450 of them aren't on the list anymore, right? Mm. The 500 biggest companies just a, a generation ago, all but a handful of them are gone. And, and, and for this same reason, they, at some point, they lost their vision, they pursued the numbers, and the data said that they were right to do it. And they didn't realize that that was wrong until it was too late. Okay. So, and, and, you know, we're talking about a solid, reliable core that holds it together, like a foundation or a, a soul, a heart and soul. We often talk about the founders of an organization being like the sun. They're the energy source for the, the solar system that is their business. So, Scott, what are some of the patterns you see? We, we need a vision. We need that energy source that, you know, you know, I think what you may have even been alluding to was a source of drama in, in business, which, you know, just keeps it interesting, shall we say. But a lot of business owners, when they, 
they they start to think about exit. You know, they'll go, well, it you know, things can't happen without me. How how do they start that exit journey if they if they're 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 thinking from from some point in time? I want to start thinking about exit. I'm not going to be in this business forever. Uh, you know, some of them think they will be in it forever, but you know, for the ones who are thinking about it, how do they start that 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 journey? Because I think you touched on it being a journey. And what, and what is it journey? What is that journey that they need to start planning for? Yeah. So a couple of things and in order, there's a couple of phases to this. So the first phase of this is, is the organization operationally dependent on you, right? Yep. Uh, are, are you the key consultant? Are you the primary sales rep? Are, you know, are you, are you necessary for your organization to hit its goals for this year, right? Are, are you still in producer mode? If you're in producer mode, you've got some work to do. That's the first thing that you need to eliminate. Yep. Um, and, and so getting out of producer mode is the first one. The second one is, uh, and this is a little harder, are you the, the, the magic eight ball of the organization, right? Anytime something goes up, and I see this, especially the early stages of working with a business, uh, we'll be sitting there, there'll be a leadership team. And, and again, from the outside, it'll look great. And then I'll say, you know, we'll get to some big decision that has to be made. And everyone goes like this. Everyone looks to the yeah. Everyone looks to the 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 guy, the girl, whoever's in charge, and Stupid and you realize, man. oh no no no, you don't have a decision making team. You've got a, a leadership team of advisors, and ultimately, when it when push comes to shove, it comes down to you. Now we pride ourselves on that, right? And it's yeah, not it's inherently, yeah, it's not inherently a bad thing. You've got to be a great decision maker to get a business to that stage. But it's not going to get beyond that stage if you're still the, 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 the magic eight ball, right? If you're still the one who's got all the answers. So once you've eliminated the, the production requirement, the next thing that you need to begin working on is not exercising your magical decision-making skill. It's building a team that can make decisions with you right? Yeah. It's building an executive team that's capable of carrying that decision-making load along with you. Yeah. And then the third big stage of, of this process of, of removing yourself from the function of the organization so that you can exit, so that success can work, is we, we start looking at, at, at the organization, we start looking at succession, and the natural thing to do is to find somebody that we trust to carry the organization toward our vision for the future. Right. That's a natural thing for an entrepreneur to do. The problem with that is your vision just becomes a static point in time. If you find someone who who wants to you know, curate and caretake your vision for the rest of the organization's history, every year it's going to get more and more stale. Every year it's, it's going to be, look more and more like a museum of the vision to the past. Well, yeah. let's, let's make this practical. So. Uh, Right around the time that IBM is transitioning from Watson Senior to Watson Junior, uh, they, they Watson Senior had this vision for these computing machines, right? Uh, the the kind of imitation game, magic, you know, you know massive uh, like mechanical machines that performed calculations, and and had had just tremendous success, right? Uh, I think they had eighty percent of the Fortune one hundred as clients, something like it was just crazy, right? If you had one of these, chances are it came from IBM. That's what they were known for. And uh, again, right around the time that we're transitioning from one generation to the next, uh, right around the time they're looking at succession, this, this new technology starts to emerge, right? Early versions of what we now call computers. 
Yeah. And and Watson Jr. has to make a really big decision, right? And let's just be honest. Am I going to continue to develop dad's company, right? That was a computing machine company. Am I going to continue to promote dad's vision for becoming the best computing machine company in the world? Or am I going to embrace this new technology that I can see this is where it's going, right? And, and you know, essentially, long story short, Watson Jr. says, you know, uh, you know, business, you know, computing machines were of the past. They're great, but this is where it's going. We're going into computers. We're going all in. Uh, it, it, it almost wrecked the company, right? We, we know the acronym IBM today because of it. But when you look at the practical requirements of this, they didn't know how to build computers. They didn't know how to, how to write software. They didn't know how to sell computers or sell software. Their clients didn't know how to use computers. They had to reinvent virtually every aspect of who they were as an organization. And that's why some 40, 50 years later, Jim Collins still writes about them as one of the top companies in the world, right? This is the next existential challenge that they're facing as an organization. But what you can see is the secret to that succession, the reason why IBM is the celebrated organization so many decades later, was that it wasn't just about Watson Sr.'s vision for the future. It was about the freedom for Watson Jr. to build on that vision and create a new vision for the future of the organization. Okay. So new leaders need to bring their vision forward so that they can, I guess, authentically or yeah, yeah, they're, they're, dry, they're using their energy to drive the forward and, and, and keep the business moving. Otherwise, the vision just becomes a destination. And then once you yeah. reach the destination, you then revert to hamster mode that we touched on earlier. Yeah, I was talking with a client and uh, he said, we're trying to, we're working on our values. We want to deepen it. We're trying to develop the next generation who can carry our values forward. And I, I said, that's nice. That's great. What you really ought to do is develop a next generation that you trust to create the values for the next set of growth. Okay. So always thinking forward. So does this mean, Scott, that that there's... It's not a, you know, we, when we're thinking about our exit, we need to be thinking when we should be exiting um, as opposed to how we're going to exit and, and get, get that timing right so that the end, if we are interested in leaving a legacy, you know, we'll get ourselves out of the way when the timing's right. I guess it's a bit like a pro athlete uh, knowing to, to retire when they're on a high rather than waiting just one year too late and all of a sudden they've, they're, they're running down downhill down the other side. They, yeah. You know, if, you, if you retire on a high, is, is that what we're talking about here? One, 100%. And I would say the athlete one is a very good illustration of what we're talking about because they can play another year, right? It's okay. I'm a big fan of Formula One racing. And, and you know that year after they're out of their prime and it just looks like the wheels fall off. And what's happening there is it, how are they remembered? Right? Are, are they remembered for the elite player that they were? Um, or, or, you know, Nico Rosberg retires the year after he uh, he wins the Formula One World Championship and shocked the world. But we remember him as a champion. We don't remember him as you know he probably would have got beat by Lewis Hamilton after that. I don't know. But but it's how they're being remembered. So similar thing for founders. What separates founders from a lot of other owners is this this desire for them to be remembered, for their organization to be remembered, for something to still be there when they're gone. And yeah. so because of that, it's not just about when do we cash out? What we're looking at is 
how do we build an organization, right, that, that when we leave, it accelerates and can continue to accelerate. And, and here's what's so special about that. It's a little bit more work. You won't always be able to come up with, hey, the financial incentive behind it on the front end. But when you build an organization that has that capacity, that can not only execute well and produce, can not only make great decisions consistently again and again and again, and, and can not only have the a new vision for where you're going as, as an organization, when you start stacking all those things up, that is a very, very sellable organization. Right? That's a very, very, uh, and, and this really cool thing happens. Because a lot of folks start thinking about exit when they're burnt out, right? They've already started that long, slow slide, and uh, and they're feeling and and they're just they're allergic to it. If you do it before that, right? If you do it before you hit that that um, that period, your multiples can be through the roof, right? And, and so what we're looking at the pattern here is selling when your organization is ready, not when you're bored. It's a really interesting thought process to get the timing right because we're never going to get the timing right you know and uh you know if you're looking back you know hindsight's always 2020 vision but uh you, you can't drive the future of the business by looking in the rear vision mirror it's 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 crazy and and as you were talking i was trying to think of some of the athletes and i'm thinking jordan you know amazing athlete i'm going to say freak he because yeah, he was so unique didn't he blow it by 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 trying to go and play baseball or something and and change sports and yeah an amazing athlete but... yeah here's another one actually i actually tell this story just briefly in the book uh, i'm a big hockey fan too here in the u.s and uh if you don't know hockey that's fine you don't need to but uh there's a, a very good player from my favorite team the pittsburgh penguins his name was mario lemieux and uh he he uh was able to win two stanley cups with his team which is the big championship uh very very few people have ever done that uh, but similar, he actually comes back into the sport, kind of waffles a little bit, and ends up uh, owning the team. Now, he has five championship rings on his hand today. And, and so what happened was when he took over as owner, he was able to win three more Stanley Cups as owner. He won more Stanley Cups as the owner without ever getting checked once, right? Without ever having to make a shot. Didn't have to do a single lap around the rink, right? He made three uh, uh, Stanley Cup wins three rings, three celebrations as owner it was more than he ever did as a player, and he didn't have to sweat a drop to do it. And, and that's what's so special about the entrepreneur's journey is that we can do that. We can become owners, uh, and and we can actually achieve more as owners with so much less effort than than we ever did as producers or as magical decision makers or as even the visionary for our organization. If you got the capability. Okay, great point. Uh, this it creates this question of like, it, it, how far can I go? Do I really have what it takes? Do you know how far can I I do it? And I actually, my experience with that is this far less fatalistic than we think. We, you know, we all think we have this kind of hard ceiling somewhere. We don't know what it is, but eventually we'll hit it. And to a certain extent, that's true. Each organization is its primary limitation is the market that it's in. But here's why that uh, that conversation I think is just completely wrong is because when you take entrepreneurs and, and you 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 mentioned this early early on is said like if you tell them that something can't be done, what are they going to do? They're going to blow right through you and figure out a way to do it. And and so what happens is more often than not, when we hit that kind of existential lid, 
it's not because we don't have the ability to become the next leader that we need to be. It's because we've reached the lid of how we're showing up as a leader from a past stage. The stage has changed, right? And I actually outline uh, the seven distinct stages in my book, The Founder's Evolution. But what's happening is it's not that you can't move forward. It's that you can't move forward by doing what you've been doing. And so when you look at every founder who's progressed through each of these stages, who've gotten from four to five or five to six or even six to seven, they didn't have the skills to do that beforehand. They learned the skills to do that. Yeah. And so what happens is you have to recognize that the game has changed. You have to recognize that there's a different skill set. And what I've found the primary limiting factor is, do you want it? Like, do you, how much do you want that next skill set and the success that it brings? And once you articulate that to founders, once they realize, oh, here's how I need to change the way I'm showing up. Uh, and, and here's what the benefits of that are. Nine out of 10 of them will do it. And the one out of 10 who don't realize, no, I actually didn't want that. It's more work than I want. I'm happier back here, right? Either way, they're empowered to build a, a business that they want. Yeah, and gives them clarity. So Scott, you've mentioned a couple of times, I think that you've, there's a, that the, you've written a book that, that outlines the whole journey uh, for business owners. And we've touched on a, on a number of things here today. So is there one key message? Is there one key top tip, if you like, that you really want listeners to take away? They can obviously, we'll put your, the link to your book in our, in our show notes so they can go and, and, and find the book and, and get the whole story. But what's the key theme? What's the one tip you'd love uh, listeners to take from, from our conversation yeah. today? That's a great question. Um, and and it, I'm going to hearken back to something that you mentioned earlier here. So the first one is, I think when I look at entrepreneurs who are stuck, particularly founders who are stuck, maybe they've had a lot of success and they're just bumping up against what that feels like that glass ceiling. Uh, the, the, the most important thing that you can do is to find out what stage you're in as a founder. There are seven of them from pre-launch to post-exit, and they all have completely different skill sets that are required. And, and then you decide, hey, do I want to build that skill set or, or not? Um, but here's, here's why each of those stages is so important. And again, this goes back to the point that you made early on. When, as entrepreneurs, we're very forward, forward looking, right? I don't think I've ever met an entrepreneur who didn't want to go to the next level. Now they have no idea what the next level actually is, right? They just, it's kind of, you, you dig in, it's kind of more of the existing level, but, uh, but they're, they're future oriented. They're, they're looking at what can and should be. And, uh, and to get there, you're going to have to adapt and evolve as a founder, but None of that matters if you're miserable every stage along the way, right? If you put your joy on hold until you reach some milestone, I guarantee you at the other side of that milestone is less joy than you have today, if, if that's your mindset going into it. And it's not because there's less joy available today. It's because you will militarize your, your idea of, oh, I'm not going to be happy until I'm here. Uh, I was working with a, a, a client and you know, their dream was to, uh, to make $10 million and to keep a million of it. Uh, and they finally get to this point, they make $10 million, they keep a million of it. And you know what the first thing he told me was after he told me that? Like, now I got to figure out how to pay a $400,000 tax bill. Yeah. Right? Like, and so what we have to do is we have to recognize what stage we're in, what skills are required for that stage. But more important than anything, we have to recognize what joy is available to us in this stage. 
there's something really, really special about every single stage. There's something that uh, when you look at folks who are three, four stages down the road where you say you want to be, they look back at where you are and say, man, I missed that. And so the biggest tragedy is to miss it in the moment because we're waiting for some future. Yeah, uh, good box point. Check. And I think upon reflection, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, they're on a continual learning journey. They may not be consciously on a learning journey, but they're just going, what do I have to do to overcome this? Here's the next problem. What do I have to do? And when they look back, they've been continually learning, pushing themselves, stretching themselves, getting out of their comfort zone and, and you know, Set, you know, achieving targets. Yeah. And so they, they're on that forever learning journey. But the, the, the key point that I think you made is wherever you are, just enjoy the moment you're in. Enjoy it for what it is. Because we can so easily get caught up in the trap that the grass is always greener. You know, it's, it's better, it's better, it's better in the future. And, and then yeah. you live life forever in the future. One day you're going to be happy and, and you'll just never get there. Yeah, that's 100% right. Scott, that's fantastic. Look, I really appreciate you sharing those insights. Um, we'll put the link to the book on the, on the, in the show notes so that people can dig deeper and understand a whole lot more about the seven stages and the skill sets that they need to acquire to, to get through each of those stages as a, a journey from a founder through to, uh, I guess, an exit. What's the last stage? Exited the visionary founder, right? Uh, we, we finally get the title that we've kind of used all along. But the, when you look at what a visionary founder does, it's really, really special. Brilliant. Thanks, Scott's retirement. Really appreciate your, your exit insights with us today. Daryl, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Exit Insights podcast. And if you have, now's a good time to subscribe and make sure you get notified of all future episodes. Now, if the topics have raised questions about the value potential in your business or how you will exit like a boss, then contact me and arrange a free strategy call where we can discuss what's required for you. Otherwise, if you'd simply like to learn more about how to prepare for when you want to exit, then you can download a copy of our ebook called It All Begins With Insights. The link is in the show notes. In this book, we'll show you how a business insights report can be used to assess your business to uncover your intangible assets and identify the value potential if you're ready for exit and your business is exit ready.